Hey, hey, what's going on, guys? This is Kyle here that you know I got. So and so in stereo podcast. We are back. It's been a minute, but we are finally back. I'm here with Tom and Ed. What's going on, fellas? I am chilling. I don't know about you two, but it has been an insane summer for me. So I know my man Tom has been making big moves, too. So lots of movement in a Leo household. I missed you guys, actually. Although there wasn't much to talk about, but I missed arguing with Ed. Specifically, well, get ready for that heat coming today because I got a couple weeks to make up for. (laughs) Well, I got a couple of things to get out of the way first because it seems like in the last couple of podcasts we've been talking about TLC a lot, right? So, the promise that I give to everyone is that this will be the last time I mention TLC on this podcast, and it's about the I Love 90s tour, which is the tour that they're currently headlining. Guys, are you ready for this? It was TLC, it was Montel Jordan, it was Naughty by Nature, and it was Bismarcky. That sounds like fun times, right? That's actually a pretty decent tour. Also, I don't believe this will be the last time we talk about TLC. Stop lying to the people. But proceed. <laughs> well, like I said, I don't like it. I don't. Well, I don't let like me, it. But that's another story. Let me explain what went down at this concert. Okay, so Bismarcky came in did just a friend and i think one other song he got off the stage that was like 10 minutes montel jordan comes on does like a five minute homage to this is how we do it quickly runs through his discography with like one performances uh, one minute performances of each of his biggest hits like let's uh get it on tonight the song with slick rick the song with master p and then he did this is how we do it and that was another like 10 minute performance Naughty by Nature comes on, and it's like a 25-minute performance, but I swear every three minutes they were saying, wave your hands in the air like you just don't care, (laughs) and something like, uh, if you love the 90s, say yeah, so that just went on for like 25 minutes, and then TLC came on, and it was exciting because I saw a live band, I saw dancers, I'm like, okay, we're going back to 1995, this is it, and you know what, the singing was... It was a little too perfect. It was like almost like it was how it was on record. And then I quickly realized that they were lip syncing like they normally do. And what was supposed to be a great show was like, meh. I mean, I guess it's the nostalgia that makes it great. But that was kind of not that good. And nothing that you You have said surprises me. Like it's all... Unfortunately, the thing, the problem with nostalgia shows, we go there expecting it to be 1994. That ain't gonna happen. These folks are old, the voices might not be there anymore, they got Ben Gay on their knees, so they're not hitting these dance moves, they're forgetting their lyrics, so they just replace everything with wave your hands Ben Gay, really? (laughs) Listen, people get whatever helps. So anyway... Unfortunately, those memories aren't as crisp as we would like them to. So, it's I I support nostalgia tours, but then there's also it should come with like this warning, this in fine print. Don't expect these old men and women to dance and sing like they used to. Well, I, first of all, these these people are in their forties. I think they're not like seventy. <laughs> It's not like Keith Sweat coming out in the wheelchair. Now, listen here. Keith still got some moves <laughs> for you. <laughs> Just kidding. But uh, 
I just don't like it because I think it marginalizes the artists. It kind of just locks them into that one time period when most of them have done a lot more than, than say, for example, Montel Jordan with This Is How We Do It. As Ed, we've talked about, he had a lot more a lot more hits than we realized. Yeah. So I don't think it's cool that they just kind of, it's almost like a gong show. You get five minutes, then you're jerked off the stage. And people seem to like it, but I just think from the artist's perspective, it's just a little... Um, undermining to what they've actually accomplished. I definitely agree in some cases, especially with Montel. And Naughty, too, because Naughty is another group that has plenty of songs. They aren't remembered outside of OPP and like maybe it's something else. But these are pretty high-level artists that unfortunately don't get their due. And then we kind of lock them into one song. Kind of unfair to their catalog. Yep. Now... Before we go on with the new music, um, I know I had announced to everyone that I was going to be interviewing Montel Jordan. It did not happen. Can I tell you guys what happened? Oh, boy. Go ahead. So I was supposed to interview him during sound check, And I guess what happened was before I got there and before Montel went to sound check, another group of, uh, I, guess, I, I guess they were part of the press, started talking to Montel. And Montel thought that that was me, so he thought he had done all his press obligations for the day, In fact, which in fact I hadn't even spoken to Montel yet, so spent all evening trying to find him, trying to track him down, couldn't get a hold of him, and then uh, after the show he emailed me back and he's like, oh sorry, I thought that group of seven people was your team, so I thought I'd already done the interview. I was like, um, that's probably another team, so um, yeah, we didn't get the Montel interview, but he did promise me that once he comes back... We'll get that interview done. So shout out to Montel. Shout out to Montel for being a stand-up dude, and not—I mean, he could have been a jerk about it. So I give him props. Can we just uh, clarify real quick about Montel Jordan? So he left music to become a a, a pastor or or something, and then what happened? Now he's back in music. I, I didn't really know the whole story. Um, I don't know if it was that know. he became just... a pastor. I mean, I, this was a couple of years ago, so I'm trying to remember. But he did go on to sing gospel, and he had a relatively big gospel hit a couple of years ago. So he's, again, yet another artist with a very, very underrated catalog because it's so overlooked. But I don't know. I, will, I don't think he became a pastor, though. That doesn't ring a bell. Kyle, do you know, you know what? I, I, no, no, I think, look, I, I think I he did actually it. become a pastor. In 2010, he left the yeah, music business to become a worship leader at Victory World Church in Georgia. Yeah, but a worship yep. leader isn't yep. necessarily a pastor. He's a born-again Christian. I thought right. he denounced all these industry uh, bad stuff. I don't know. No, that, no I, I, mean, I thought so, too. But the, I thought so, too. And then he started performing Get It On tonight. And I'm like, wait a minute. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> well, unfortunately, I think it was time to get it on with them bills, so he had to step out of the choir stand for a little bit. Oh, boy. I think that was probably what happened. So two points about Montel before we move on. Number one, I almost forgot that he was like six foot eight tall, and then when he was on stage, I'm like, oh, oh yes. this guy's tall. He's a, he's a tall fellow. And number two. He says you, it in what, the, what, in what the song. You guys th- yep. What do you think is the bigger song of the 90s, Pony or This Is How We Do It? This Is oh, How We Do It. This Is How We Do by It. By far. That's that's the bigger yep. song? By far, yeah. No question. Hmm, interesting. Damn. Okay, 
So, moving on, it's time to talk about some new music. Let's throw the 90s out of the way because, I mean, we can talk about the 90s all, all, all day long with this nostalgia stuff, but let's talk about some new music. Let's start off with Seven Streeter. This is an album that we've been waiting on since 2012, I believe. Finally came out, Girl Yeesh. Disrupted. Number one, it's a digital release only because uh, what I read was Atlantic had capped her off at 11 songs. And in order for her to put more songs on the album, she had to remove the physical album budget from from it. So that's why it's a digital release. But guys, now that it's finally here, now that we've heard it all, before I do, still one of my favorite songs. But the rest of the album, Ed, I'll start with you. What's the verdict? Oh, gosh. Before we get to that play up, like, that's such a weird edict. Tom might be able to speak more to this than I can. So she was only allotted 11 songs, and because she added two or three more, they were like, oh, no physical copies for you. You won't be in Target, player. <laughs> like, that's... It seems like the cutting yeah. off your nose to spite your face. Why would you do that? And limit your... Oh, I don't understand it. Anyway, I don't want to get down that rabbit hole, because I got plenty of other fussing to do later on. So... This album, my goodness, we have been waiting for a half a freaking decade for this. And unfortunately, while I didn't despise it like some folks did on on the net, because I saw some really harsh criticism toward this one, I thought that the biggest sin this album had was that it was just okay. Like it was just, after this long wait and after seeing what we know she can do, because she's had some pretty strong EPs over the past few years, this just felt kind of meh. You would think it would be more of a coming out party because this is her chance to finally stand on stage, be herself. This is me. I am here. This is the LP you've been waiting for. It almost felt like kind of throwaway tracks. They were like random EP tracks. Some of them felt kind of dated. Some were just weird, like the kind of bizarre remixes of Soon As I Get Home that was this weird dance thing that sounds like something from the club in 98 it just didn't sit well the thing though is the album is well produced for the most part well sung for the most part but it's just so forgettable and i think that's the biggest sin that the album has um before i comment i want to give a a shout to one of our uh, supporters dorian rose from twitter she checks out all of our podcasts and I asked her what she wanted to hear us talk about. She wanted to hear about Seven's album. And she was talking about the lack of the rollout and talking about how labels aren't giving artists like Seven budgets anymore for promo and stuff. And um, she just basically wanted us to talk about, you know, Seven's campaign in comparison to other artists. But when you compare it to other artists, she's actually lucky in the promo she did receive because many artists, you know, you never even hear anything from them. So... How do you guys feel about the rollout as a whole and how Seven's been handled overall? It's weird because leading up to the album, I saw plenty of interviews online with Seven. I saw some decent buzz. So I feel like even though we complain and this stuff with the whole you put two extra songs on it so you can't sell in the Target thing is totally bizarre. I feel like that she's gotten a little bit more than normal artists that we see. Some artists' albums just like I mean, look at Adrian Marcel, someone who, again, an artist who we've been waiting on forever. That album came and went, and most people didn't even know it was released because there was absolutely, you could hear crickets when that thing dropped. 
maybe not his fault, but there was no rollout. So she got a little bit of a push, but maybe not as much as fans wanted and not as much as she deserved. And uh, I, I was, mm. I, I'll say I was disappointed. And uh, well, Go ahead, Kyle. Well, I was going to say, due to the fact that I think we waited five years for this, I think you started seeing the, the push diminished a little bit. I, I think when she first was signed to Atlantic and she really started establishing herself as a solo artist, you could see that the push was there. They were putting her on collaborations. I mean, Chris Brown by default. But, you know, just with these EPs that she was putting out and how they had music videos, I think they really believed in her vision. But as time went on, like even with the release of this album, uh, I mean, I guess she's promoting it as the fact that it's on her birthday and, you know, it all made sense. But I kind of felt like they they probably just thought it was time that they put it out. And it wasn't really there wasn't really much thought behind it. I mean, she didn't even end up on The Breakfast Club for an interview. And that's sort of like the 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 standard these days and she didn't even show up on that so i think initially i think she did have the backing like a tanache does or like a SZA does but i mean as time went on i mean five years for an artist on a major label to get their debut album out that's that's a lot of chances yeah i mean it is the music business and i could probably assume atlantic felt like they weren't going to get a good re- good return so why spend the money it's also very interesting that they're pushing the one single, the Urban AC, at this point. I mean, I, I don't think that goes along with anything else that's on the album or that she's been focusing towards. So, and that's uh, Before I Do, which is it's just weird to me right. how this is being put out there. And like you said, Kyle, did Chris Brown really even, even promote it much? Do they still even work together? I don't know the situation. Well, if old cousin Chris, you know, yeah, I'm not it sure. depends on the day of the week because he might... He's friend with you one minute and he's trying to kill you <laughs> next. So I haven't heard any any kind of push between the two in a long time. I haven't heard of any beef publicly, but I haven't heard them supporting each other, which was a little strange. Yeah, maybe that's come and gone. You know what's kind of sad though? Like absolutely, we 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 were kind of there in the beginning. Uh, I remember when Atlantic brought us in the interview seven. Right when she signed, they were excited about her, and she's really cool. She's always been cool with us. So uh, it's just kind of sad to see it go this way for her because, you know, we're big supporters. Um, so, you know, that's just the way R&B is going, though, nowadays, unfortunately. Yeah, it's frustrating. Seven really was, I mean, if you would have told me 2013, 2014, I would be like, like, she's going to be one of the next ones that are up. Like, she's next up. And it's sad that it took 2017 to get the album, and it's just a whimper. It's, eh. Yeah, I just feel like it really shortchanges her potential. I mean, and this isn't the end. We're right in the epitaph. It's not the end. She has a chance to kind of capitalize and move forward. But overall, this was kind of a disappointment. Oh, I think it might be the end. I just looked at the numbers for her album sales. 4,000 copies. So. Ooh, lower. Hmm. But we'll see. <laughs> we will see. But like I said, like I've always said... She should have dropped the album after It Won't Stop. I don't know what happened there. But I'm sure she really probably wanted to. One. Yeah, I'm sure that if it was up to her, that would have happened. But who knows? Yep. So, shout out to Seven. Go cop that album, Girl Disrupted. 
has uh, some of Tom's favorite artists on there, like Jeremiah and Ty Dolla Sign and August Alsina. <laughs> oh, come on. <laughs> why did they have so, three of my... Why did they have to put all these artists on one song? Uh, yeah, that's I what I'm really saying. Like that song. And it's, it's crazy because Seven's part is great. It's just everybody else needs yes. to show up. Yes. Well, what confused me even more is like Ty Dolla Sign and Jeremiah showed up on two different songs. It's like they had two features on the album. I remember her, though, in some interview or something I was reading prior to the release, she was very excited about Jeremiah and Ty Dolla being all over the album. She was, ugh. Like, you hearing something? Oh, that's a red flag. That's a red flag right there. Yeah, that one had (laughs) my stuff. That one gave me the bubble guts. Oh, boy. (laughs) All right, well... Uh, another album that just came out last weekend is Daily. Now we, I know we have a lot of Daily fans in the house. Have you guys had a chance to listen to that album yet? I have not. Unfortunately, it's been crazy town and soul and stereo studios for the past two weeks, so I have not heard that one yet. Looking forward to it though. I actually, I haven't either, but I have a feeling it's going to be one of the stronger releases of the year. And Kyle, you, you've heard it, right? Yeah, I actually listened to it last night just to get ready for this podcast because so, some of us stay ready and we prepare. Oh, um, please. <laughs> this geez. is the man whose mic took 40 minutes to work before this podcast got started. Hey, we're editing that part out. But uh, I actually listened to the Daily <laughs> Album and <laughs> you know what? I think the album is quality. Like It's well produced. He's obviously singing on it. It's not really my type of album. There is one song on there that's really, really good, though. I think it's called Second to None. kind of reminds me of, like, a 90s R&B song with some, like, I want to say, like, Prince overtones to it. Um, so that one's really good. You need to mm-hmm. check that one out. And, of course, you have the song with Jill Scott, which I think we all really like. Um, but the album, in, in its entirety, it's quality, but it's not really my type of music. It's soul music, but... You know, I think all three of us have a certain thing that we look for in R&B, and I don't think... And, of course, Daly, because he's not an American artist, he's from the UK, I think he has different influences as well. Like, I heard some rock stuff on there, so... I mean, we can't expect everything to sound like Boys to Men. <laughs> what? Like, Boys to Men? I was hoping you were going to say sound like Charlie Wilson, but... No. Inside joke. Yes, inside <laughs> yeah. joke. <Yeah. laughs> You know what's so, interesting, though? Uh, just a, a quick side note. You know, uh, you mentioned Daily being from the U.K. We get so many submissions from up-and-coming artists to our site that want to be featured. And the best stuff I'm hearing is, is not coming from the United States for R&B. A lot of it's coming from Europe, the U.K., places like that, where they're sticking to more of the traditional sounds, and they're also progressing the, the genre in the, in the direction I think we'd all like to see it go. And unfortunately, we're just not getting that from the U.S. at this point, so... It's refreshing to, to see it that good music is still being made somewhere that we want to hear. I am totally on board with that, and I have been a big fan of the UK scene and a lot of the artists that are doing their thing over there, and I'm, even hip-hop to some levels. I feel like that they those artists are taking the elements of the music and are progressing it in a futuristic good way, but are still hanging on to the roots of it. They aren't just totally throwing it aside for lazy gimmicks and tricks, so... I am very, very much on board on the UK movement. Y'all doing your thing over there. Absolutely. And shout out to uh, Switzerland, uh, you know, even though New New Jack Swing died in the early 90s in the U.S., (laughs) it's secretly still been going on in in Switzerland. 
Oh, Shout out to DJ Soulchild oh, for helping that go, keep it going. Soulchild, one right, of these think, days, <laughs> is just going to kick down your front door and bum rush you on one of these podcasts, and I am going to be here for it. Oh, man. All right, there's too much positivity going on right now, guys. I got to ask you guys about two R&B beefs that are going on right now, and you'll be excited about these ones. Elijah Blake and Omarion have beef because Elijah Blake is claiming that Omarion stole one of his songs or copied one of his songs. I don't what? know. <laughs> First of all, what did, did Omarion is too busy out here pretending to be Earth, Wind, and Fire. So maybe he will. Maybe he is jacking songs. He stole there. So, man. <laughs> Times is hard for and a lot. Secondly, yeah. yeah, and then secondly on Instagram, I saw Eric Bellinger going at Tory Lanez for, for stealing his, uh, his producer tag. Uh, I think Eric Bellinger's producer tag is like, uh, this might be one of your favorite songs or whatever. And uh, Tory Lanez uses that now, so they're fighting as well. Oh my gosh. How about these people actually put out halfway decent music? Can we start there before I jump on somebody's beef bandwagon? Like, give me a reason to like you by dropping something hot, then I'll be on your side. <laughs> but this is the generation we're in. If you're not beefing with someone, you're not hot. Yes. That's just the way it goes. Ugh, I hate when I have to agree with Tom, but the man is right. <laughs> now there's a couple of new singles that came out um this week as well i want to first start off with this deborah cox single tom can you tell me about this song a little bit which deborah cox single yeah it's like the, my heart the, just hit the floor my girl has a single and the I one uh the, the dance song she put out yeah I think it's called let the world be ours tonight or something like that yep yeah um it came out actually like a like a like two weeks ago. Oh, that's yeah. why. You didn't hear it, Ed? No, that was out of town. Okay. It was two weeks ago. No, I told this totally um, not on my radar. It is just a it's, it's just a very dancey song. Uh, that's all I can say about that. Yeah, that's well. It's pretty much if it's dancey, that's her lane. The the kind of upbeat stuff. Just, it wouldn't surprise me if that's it. But no, I totally missed this. One. All right. Yeah. Um, another single from uh, Vivian Green, produced by a boy, Kwame. I listened to that song. It was kind of weird. Like, she had some weird vocoder on her voice. I haven't, I, honestly, I didn't get a good chance to listen to that one, but obviously we're big supporters of Vivian Green and Kwame. They let us premiere the the single, the first single they put out on their last album, and uh, this one's getting some good response. Ed, have you heard it yet? I have not heard this one either, but I'm a huge Kwame fan. And Vivian, I loved her first album. And Vivian's one of those artists that kind of frustrates me too because she is her first album I really love. Everything after that, she'll put out an, uh, an album with a song that I'll love off the album. And the album's just okay. So I hope that her next project can recapture the magic of the first one because that first album was my joint. Ed, what have you been sitting around eating bonbons and not listening to music? Let me tell you, player. <laughs> I'm kind of a big deal in these streets. Your boy is busy. All right, all right. Got you. All right, some more new music that I quickly want to just run through. Uh, Dondria, uh, artist of Social Death, uh, released mm -hmm. her EP, The Day of the Dawn. It was actually a pretty solid project. I forget how good of a singer Dondria is. And uh, she put out her EP, and there's some couple a couple of solid songs on there. Um, it's kind of surprising that like it, I always talk to Tom about it. Like if you're not 
at the top of the game and you're one of these new artists that are still trying to make it like it it impresses me and it surprises me that they're still constantly pushing and Dondria is one of those artists that continues to push so it's pretty impressive Dondria has been out a minute and it's she's one of those artists that you would think by now would have like gotten a little bit more notoriety than she has because she certainly has the chops like you said vocally so good for her to keep pushing out here because as we've been discussing all podcasts these streets are rough but she's got the talent to do something and then lastly because we're about to get into R&B groups uh, June's Diary which is a group that uh, Kelly Rowland put together Tom, I'm reading our website, and it looks like a song mysteriously showed up in your inbox. How does that happen? <laughs> I want to know uh, this story. No, no comment. <laughs> it got e- oh. it, it got emailed to us, and we were and we were asked to put it out there. It was never officially released. Man, are we here leaking songs like it's 2009? Well, we were asked to leak the song. Is oh. that counting as actually leaking it? Fair enough. Oh uh, no. That does not. Okay. <laughs> and it's so good that we can help. So I saved, I, gotta the, listen. I saved the. E- I gotta listen to this afterwards. I saved the email just in case we we end up getting sued. So all right, don't worry. All right, so that's all the new music. Uh, wait, there's two more. It's the two that everyone's. No, been waiting I was like, on. "Play it! You're skipping stuff." All right, let's start <laughs> off, guys. One twelve. They are back with the new single, "Strawberry." Man, it's been so long since we heard from 112. I mean, we knew that we knew it was coming. They have an album coming out soon, but the single is finally out. Tom, you're a huge 112 fan. Ed, you're also a huge 112 fan. Give me your thoughts. This is finally a song that I've heard. But yes, I was very excited about this. As you well know, I am a huge 112 fan, so I was very excited for the single. And it's okay. A lot of the buzz online was like, oh, this is great. They're bringing it back. Nine is a back. One twelve's back. Yada, yada. And then I checked it out and I thought it was solid, but I didn't get a lot of the hype around it. It is a good, strong kind of one twelve ish sound. It sounds like a one twelve sound. It doesn't sound like a Tory Lane song that one twelve is covering like some other people will talk out in about five minutes. So... I like that it sounded like a 112 track, but while it was a good introduction, it's not something that's gonna like be bursting my iPod and my cell phone with replays. Well, for me, it was pretty much as good as I could have expected because it, let's be honest, it could have been a lot worse. Yeah, it could have. And in 2017, with a lot of what we're hearing nowadays, I was I'm satisfied with what they gave us. They didn't try to go trendy and. They didn't feature Ty Dolla Sign on the song, so <laughs> I have to say I'm, I'm I'm happy with it, and it'll get some replays from me. Oh my god, is that how we're judging songs from our legends nowadays? <laughs> well, at least it's not trap music like everyone else is doing. <laughs> uh, pretty much, because um, that's, yes. you know, that's what we're getting. Yeah, uh, again, we'll get to that conversation very soon. Very very soon. But my my views on this song, it's okay. It's it's kind of like just the most average song that you could get like my biggest thing about it was that it sounded kind of cheap i don't know whether it was to production or how it was mixed but it sounded kind of cheap 
And I mean, I'm glad it wasn't drowned in auto tune, and they do sound pretty good still. Like Duran was singing on it, a little messy with with the singing, but he still sounded pretty decent. And Slim is Slim, so um, yeah, no complaints for me about that song. But if we want the complaints and we want the trap music, we look no further than J E Jagged Edge, which by the way Wait, I saw Kyle, their uns- Kyle. Yep. <clears throat> Kyle, hold on before you talk about that. Yep. Let me ask you guys a quick question about 112. Mm-hmm. Do you think maybe they've lost the spark and that's why the song came out so average? Because, listen, they haven't done an album in 12 years. Maybe they didn't want to do an album. Maybe they just feel they're being forced by their fans. Do you think it's maybe they just lost the, that creative spark as a group? Uh, I wouldn't go that far. I think it might be one of these things where people have to remember it comes with chemistry. When you hear like 112 in 1998 and you're listening to Room 112, you're hearing them at their peak. And their creative peak, their vocal peak, and their chemistry is there. Well, you take a long layoff, and I know these guys have been performing, because I've seen them um, over the past couple of years. They've been performing, getting the groove back. It takes a while to recapture the chemistry sometimes, especially after a long layoff. And these guys have been doing solo projects this whole time. So it might take a minute for them to get back into the groove of things. So it might not be that, oh, the fans are dragging us in the studio and we don't even want to do it. I want to go home and play PS4. Like, it's, I doubt it's that. <laughs> but it's just giving them some time to get the groove back. Now, if Got the whole it. album sounds like that, then I'm going to be like, hmm. But I'm willing to give you the benefit of the doubt first thing out the gate. I don't know, guys. If you can put out an album like Hot and Wet, anything is possible. Oh, Lord. That (laughs) album. But it's still better than the album we're about to talk about. You talking about this Jagged Edge Layover album? Oh, that would be the one. (laughs) Oh, boy. Well, let me break it down for you guys because obviously they put out their unsung episode, which, by the way, I watched and I thought it was very well done. Um, Taught me a couple of things Mm -hmm. about Jagged Edge, but also some things that I already knew uh, about them being bad boys and, you know, being late to shows because I personally experienced that, having one member show up to a Jagged Edge show. Um, But this album, (laughs) (laughs) yes, I saw a Wingo concert. This is not a surprise. Uh, But as far as the release of this album, we had already talked about it in one of our previous podcasts. We're like, they're just randomly going to put out this podcast. I mean, this this album, there's no way it's going to be good. And we were right. Mm. Well, what was the problem with it, in your guys' opinion? Ed? Tom, you gonna let me off? You gonna let me out the cage for this one? You gonna take a brother off his leash? Well, we gotta keep it real, right? That's what I'm here for. So, JE fans and JE themselves, please direct all your tweets to etbowser.com. Leave Tom and Kyle out of this. Their opinions, these opinions are of my own, not them. Well, sort of them, but don't worry about that. My God, this album. Listen. I understand that in 2017, it is imperative for artists to sell records. And in order to sell records, a lot of times you have to follow current trends. And we saw a little bit of that when we talked about Seven's album, putting on these muckney bucks, half singing dudes on it because they're hot on urban radio right now, whatever. But when we watch a unsung, 
where it features some of the best songs of the 90s and you have artists, fellow artists, music industry legends talking about how great Jagged Edge is because they were able to keep their own street sound, merge it with classic R&B soul, have their own identity in their songs and create these songs that have endured that will be played at weddings for the end of time and other things. That's the makings of a classic group. Instead, you just start doing what the little kids do and intentionally betray what made you Jagged Edge. What made you Jagged Edge was taking your sound, merging it with the classic sound. You built a sound, but you abandoned it to sound like these little kids. So what we got is Wingo and everybody else, the rest of these guys, the twins, sounding like Megatron over these half trap beats, whack drums, horrible production, and sloppy lyrics. And Jagged Edge's lyrics are usually pretty classic. Listen to Promise. Like, that's a song with great lyricism. And these songs are hastily put together to hurry up and drop to coincide with your TV show. And what we got is a project that totally, totally disparages Jagged Edge's name and their legacy. A absolutely horrible album. I I only have one comment. So, you know, I'm moving and me and my wife spent the whole day yesterday packing. <laughs> so I put that on. I'm like, all right, let's put this on in the background. She made me turn it off after, as, as we hit the third song. Wow. No joke. She's like, what is this crap? Turn this off. That's all I'm saying about this. Well, two points about this project. First of all, Ed, did you just say that Jagged Edge puts together some pretty good lyrics? They can. Now, they've been suspect in their past. If you actually listen to Let's Get Married, please don't propose to anybody like that because you will get slapped. <laughs> like a, like, just like a child that's lost at seven? Are you kidding me, Ed? Not all their lyrics. I said promise, player. Promise is a very well-crafted song. Promise. Did you listen? Promise was a well-crafted song. Not (sighs) Walked Out of Heaven, even though I love that song. What's the other song? Okay, well, here's the other thing. I didn't think they could get any lower than their, uh... Than... What was the album before J.E. Heartbreak 2? I only listened to it, like, twice in my life. The The one with Spaceship on it. The Remedy? Yeah, I didn't think it could get worse than that. Yeah. I didn't think it could get worse than that. Oh, I didn't either, but they proved us wrong. Which is disappointing because they released J.E. Heartbreak 2 three years ago, and that was a great album. I really like that album. That What made me so mad about this album is that it was a clear rush job. It was like, we're going to be on TV, so we need to sell some new music along with this. So the easiest thing to do is to just auto-tune a bunch of junk like everybody else does. And people wonder why. We have a lot of times fans will say, why does John B. take so long to release music or blah, 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 but Future puts out an album every other week? Because it takes two days to do these albums. There's no work put in. It's just them moaning over some trap beats. And clearly, this is an album that was an extreme rush job that Dickens got out there to get your little iTunes coins. Save that money and go buy Walked Out of Heaven or something. You, you know what I feel like they probably did to get it? 
you know, to rush it, though, is they probably just sourced, like, Twitter or Instagram or somewhere for beats from up-and-coming producers, and that's how they ended up with these current-sounding, cheap-sounding beats. And they just slapped some lyrics over it, and here we are, unfortunately. Kyle was talking about songs sounding cheap earlier, and this is the definition of something that sounds cheap. Yep. Yeah. You know what's interesting, though? Like, I was talking to... To a, to a 90s R&B fan recently, and they told me they went to see an artist, and they said they, they were really excited to hear all the hits, but they really didn't care about hearing the new music. So this is a whole other can of worms, but I almost feel like this. what's what's the point? I mean, wh- you know, what is the goal of even putting out, like, like Jagged Edge? Are they just trying to just capitalize to make a quick buck? Are they even trying to build their legacy any further? I, don't, I mean, this was clearly a, a cash-in. But, I mean, you, you you raise a good point, player, and so does the fan you were talking to. And it's a lot of my friends are the same way. When they go see, I mean, think about what Kyle was saying with the 90s tour. You don't really care to hear what Montel is doing now. You want to hear this is how we're doing and, and all of, you know, the, the things that you remember. You want to re- reminisce about the good stuff. And for some artists, maybe that's okay. But for others, I think that... Maybe it's an ego thing. You want to prove that I still got it. So I'm going to give you all some new stuff. Or some artists realize that maybe their old stuff will eventually have a shelf life. And the new generation of R&B fans has kind of come on the scene and turned over. This is my chance to capture them. Of course, you can do that in a lot better way than the old cheap J.E. album that we just heard. So I understand why some would kind of push for it. Because it just makes good business sense. But... A lot of older fans are just like, I'm good with the stuff from the 90s. Mm-hmm. Here's a question for you guys. So, we went into this JE album expecting there to be some decent R&B on there because they didn't say it would be all trap music. But let's take an example. I want to flip it to Tank. Um, I remember a couple of years ago when he put out Stronger and it, it didn't do well and he went on ranting on Twitter and Instagram about how no one buys the album and that that would be the last R&B album we'd get from him, or real R&B album we'd get for him from him. So here he is with his new single, When We, which is a little more ratchet, a little more turn up. And are we allowed to be mad at Tank? Because he did warn us that he wasn't going to put out real R&B anymore. We can't be mad at him, can we? No. Oh, I'm mad at him because I remember when he had his little <laughs> um, temper tantrum on Instagram. I wrote about it on Soul and Stereo. You can go check it out. Because that was like, no, don't put out a product that is inferior. Because I feel like that album was not very good. And it was highly overrated by some tank stands. But it didn't do well because it wasn't a great album. And then don't throw a temper tantrum because it didn't do well. And be like, well, I'm not going to do any more R&B anymore. And poke out your lip and stomp your feet. That's not, if you want to do better, prove that you're better than that. Don't whine and make it everybody else's problem. And then now you're just like doing turn up. And I don't think that he's doing it because he told us that. I think we're seeing the same thing with J.E. Where it's like, I'm going to appeal to this new fan, this new fan base. Which is nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with appealing to a new fan base. But when you betray your sound to do that, you are not only fighting an uphill battle trying to get young fans who don't really recognize your music. But then you're alienating the fans who will throw down good money to support you, even if you put out okay stuff. So you're shooting yourself in the foot twice. I, You know, my opinion on that, I don't think you get a pass if you say you're going to do something 
then it just makes it okay. I'll, I'll never forget when Robin Thicke released the Sex Therapy album, and I was blasting it and saying, why did he you know, sell out? And a fan told me, oh, it's okay. You can't make fun of the album. He said he was going to make you know, a more trendier sound, so we got to give him credit. Why does that make it okay? Because you say you're going to do it makes it acceptable? <laughs> I yes. don't get it. Tom, I'm going to shoot you in the face. I said it, so it's okay. Like, what? That makes no sense. <laughs> so, no, we hey, don't, still- I don't want to accept Tank doing that. I mean, Not I'm sorry. All. And I also am just pissed because he whined like a baby on Instagram. He had that old emo-looking picture. Oh, my gosh. Thanks for bringing that up, Kyle. Now I'm heated again. <laughs> I mean, it's still better than when Neil is promoting his album as R&B and you listen to it and there's like Pitbull on half the songs, right? That's a little better than that. Oh, yeah. <sighs> <laughs> I was like, That's, don't insult Tom's boy, Neil. Good Lord, no. Uh, just so everyone knows, that's E.T. Bowser speaking right now. <laughs> At E.T. Bowser on Twitter. Neil, we love you. <laughs> oh, boy. Neil's got me on his enemies list. He knows what's up. All right, all right, let's calm down. Now, before we get into our Hall of Fame, Tom actually asked a pretty interesting question, and we wanted Ed to answer this on air about In Vogue. What was the question, Tom? Oh, yeah, this was an interesting question. Thanks for reminding me, Kyle. Dawn Robinson, I feel like she had all the makings of being a star. She had the setup and everything. Why, Ed, why didn't she become a solo star? Now, a lot of fans listening to this who are younger fans probably don't know this, and it probably will sound weird to say, but Dawn was, like, on track to be. If you told us R&B fans in, like, the mid-'90s, we were thinking Dawn was going to be, like, the Beyonce of our era. Like, she was going to be a solo star and was going to be huge and was going to dominate and sell out diamond records from the next 10 years. It was just she had that opportunity. What happened, at least from what I my understanding, is just ego. She started working with a bunch of mm. projects, and it just fell apart. From Dr. Dre to um, Lucid Pearl and all these. She had all these opportunities to do good things, and word on the street is that she just couldn't get along and stuff was falling apart, and she really threw away that opportunity to take it to the next level. I don't know if there was some personal issues going on. I don't know if it was a work ethic thing. I don't know if it was just a straight-up attitude thing. But word on the street is she just couldn't keep it together. And I'm sure there will be some involved fans who will come and tell us what the quote-unquote real story and blah, blah, blah. But it's really a shame because we really knew, whether you liked it or not, she was going to be the next one up. And it just petered out. <clears throat> You know what's interesting thinking about, though? I have always noticed the ego in her, too, and I've wondered if that had to do with it. But also, you know, I didn't feel like her solo album was was even that great, Dawn. But then also I wonder, did Lucy Pearl kind of, was it not the right choice for her to do? Because I feel like it didn't get the mainstream attention that would have benefited her. No, I agree. I think that on the surface it was probably a good move. And, like, on in theory and on paper, I wouldn't have questioned the move, but... Especially in that climate, I think R&B was starting to change a little bit. And I think that that sound just wasn't a mainstream sound. Because R&B was starting to embrace its poppiness around that time. And it just right. I mean, and it, Lucy Pearl isn't bad at all. Don't get me wrong there. But I just don't think it was the direction that music was going into. But yeah, man, Don was supposed to blow up. And that didn't happen. 
And I can't blame side, anybody but Dawn. Side note, did you know D'Angelo was supposed to be in Lucy Pearl originally? I did, and that was the word on the streets too around that time. And I can't remember what the rumor is that why that didn't happen, but I do clearly remember that. So there you have it. Um, are you guys ready to get into this Hall of Fame thing? Let's do it. Now this is the part of the podcast that always gets us in trouble and gets us to fight a lot. So hopefully there's not a lot of that today. But as usual, we have two nominations today. One from the fans and one from us. Let's start with the fan nomination. This guy right here is one of the most consistent male R&B artists that we have since the 90s. If you don't know his name, you definitely haven't listened to his music because his name shows up on like four different album titles. I'm talking about Joe Thomas. <laughs> I mean, what can mm. we say? He has hits. He writes his own music. He's still doing it today. Um, I think he actually just retired, but, um, so maybe he's not doing it today anymore, but I'm talking about Joe Thomas, guys. Joe, is he in the R&B Hall of Fame with hits such as All the Things Your Man Won't Do, I Wanna Know, and Stutter, and many, many more? Oh, it's a tough one. Uh, do we have a quick recap of who's in and who's out at this point? I was thinking about that uh, last we week while I was out of town, well, week before last. I feel like there needs to be a, a site, a part of the site dedicated to, like, who is officially yeah, we'll, in. We'll work yeah. on that. I think I was supposed to do that, but uh, <laughs> uh, I just want to compare. You know, I like to compare. Well, if this person's in, then this person should be in. Tom, the you standard know, is Monica. I, that, Ed, right? I know you do, Monica. but you also love <laughs> terrible food, too, so... You live oh, a lie wait, Monica didn't get in? Nope. Oh, so, okay, I remember now. Monica didn't get in, so then nobody else sh- should really be getting in. No. <laughs> I'll let Ed go first. I have no problem going first because you know that I have no problem being the bad guy, and I'm about to be the bad guy. Joe is a phenomenal artist, and I have said many, many times if I could actually sing... I would want to sound like Joe. He is one of my favorite vocalists as far as just straight up vocals. However, I think that the legend of Joe has gotten a lot bigger than the output over the years because Joe has been one of the few artists, especially male solo artists from the 90s, who has continued to push R&B forward because he hasn't really changed his sound. If you remember him from 1993, he's giving you pretty much the same Joe in 2017. And that's there's nothing wrong with that. That's fine he's great but the reason that lack of evolution and really that lack of actual impact on the industry is what i feel like hurts him the most because even though he has great songs he has some single success as far as like the late 90s early 2000s was kind of his biggest era i don't really see him having success outside of that small little bubble and his impact on the game i don't feel like has been as big as most of the Hall of Famers that we have. So even though his fan base is insane online because he is one of the few who is keeping R&B the way we remember it and love it, I can't put him in the Hall of Fame just because of the output. Oh, man. 
I'm going to have to say yes. I'll disclaimer and say he is one of my favorite artists. And I'm using Music Soul Child as a benchmark here. <laughs> because I'm sure I put you music are. In. If I put music in, I have to put Joe in. Because I feel like Joe, in my opinion, has two albums you could call classics. Which, for me, is a benchmark you need to get in. He's had plenty of timeless hits, I think, more than enough. But most importantly for me, he's still doing it today. He's still touring on bigger stages than most. And um, we always say he's where Brian McKnight should be right now. And like I feel like he's one of the premier artists still over... We're going on 25 years since he first put out his first album. So he's still doing it on that big level. Um I agree that his albums haven't been the strongest in, in the later years, but he's still giving us good singles. So I'm going to say yes. You know what? Don't you come. I'm going to say yes as well. And I think this is a very underrated aspect. Woo! Underrated aspect here. Number one, his hip-hop collaborations. Big pun, G-Unit, mm. and he did well on both, and he sounded great on both. That's an underrated aspect, and we cannot forget about the Stutter remix, which I think he performed effortlessly and made it a great single, kind of a nice remix to the original. And then I think the other part of it that I don't think we give enough recognition, and this is no diss to, to Case, but to an extent, Joe sort of made Case you know, a big star because he wrote two of Case's biggest songs, Faded Pictures and Missing You. And if it weren't for those songs, I don't know where Case would be right now. Mm. And Good points. I mean, with that as well as the consistency, um, his discography, I don't know if he has two classics album, classic albums like you say, Tom, but he does have a nice body of work. And for that reason, I am going to put him into the Hall of Fame. And uh, along with that, along with the hip-hop collaborations, some pop collaborations as well with Mariah Carey and 98 Degrees. I'll say too, another another thing you made me think of, Ch Chico DeBarge, he should get a lot of credit for his career as well. He was on a few of his biggest hits. And I think what puts it over the top for me is Joe. He's just an overall good guy. I think that should count for something. <laughs> Shouldn't that add? Oh, player, please. No, that shouldn't count. What? But, again... That counts for something. No, it doesn't count for anything. There are plenty of nice jerks that are all up in our... Um, <laughs> <laughs> that are all in the Hall of Fame. That, unfortunately, we're judging the quality of their work, not the content of their character. Martin Luther King. Well, but man, all the content the of your character, and someone needs to cut your line off right now. Oh, boy. Say, what now you were bringing up? I said, I'm judging the quality of your character right now, and someone needs to cut your line off. What? Listen, dudes talk real big when they're like 17 <laughs> states away. Oh, well, boy. when you come here for that I'm... Street Fighter tournament, then we'll, we'll, we'll figure it all out. Oh, yeah. See, and we forgot to mention this. So this is making this official. There will be a Street Fighter tournament between the three of us <laughs> coming up very soon. <laughs> and I want to make this public on this podcast because when these two dudes get destroyed and come whining back on the podcast about how mean old Ed was unfair because he jacked them up with Blanco or whoever I'm using, just put it on record because that beating is coming. Oh goodness! Wow. <laughs> Let's just get and, to the next and one. And the winner, 
And the winner of the Street Fighter tournament gets to revive uh, their favorite artist into the Hall of Fame. So Ashanti, if you're out there, there's yes. still a chance. <laughs> or a kick out Joe. Oh. Oh boy. Jeez. Come on, Joe made a great song with Tony Yayo as well. So. No, oh, now you now you're just lying. Stop. Listen, we have D'Angelo in this thing. We got to be more lenient. Did this guy just compare D'Angelo? I'm gonna leave this. I'm gonna let Twitter tear you up on that one. So yeah, just go. This dude Wait. just compared D'Angelo to Joe. Oh my god! Hold on, Ed. Didn't Joe revive Keith Sweat's career with Test Drive? First of all, <laughs> I'm pretty sure that Joe was playing second fiddle to that song. I'm not sure which version you heard. Ah, uh, my bad. All right. Um, let's keep right, it moving. Let's, let's, let's keep it moving. It's my turn this week to uh, nominate someone into the Hall of Fame. And I've been known to, to, to throw some controversial, you know, people into this Hall of Fame. And I think hey, it's going to hey, change this time around. I think... Uh, calm down. I think this one is a pretty uh, no-brainer. It's a no-brainer here. This guy is impactful he is influential i can't think of an artist that has had as much impact that he has had in the last i want to say 10 years he's written for some big artists such as an alicia keys such as jamie fox um has had some r&b songs of his own he's a canadian brother of mine i'm talking about drake is he in the hall of fame what did you just, Tom, you just threatened to cut my line. You need to cut this dude forever. <laughs> hold on, hold on, hold on. Is this serious can or we, Can we break it down for a second before you guys get all mad at me? Can no, we not agree that he break, has so had a sig- to- Has he not had a significant impact on R&B over the last 10 years? This moody, trappy sound that we're yes, hearing right now, correct. isn't that because of... Right? Okay. And hasn't he had his share of R&B songs as well that people have loved? Marvin's Room, Hotline Bling. Ed, what, what, just hold on, we're coming home. Don't you love that song, Ed? I actually do like that last song. The other two, no. Oh, man. And I think the only downside and the only thing, the only knock that we have on Drake right now is that he's not actually an R&B singer. But aside from that, man, Hall of Fame, here we come. Ed? Tom, Tom, I want Tom to, I'm, I'm over here digging the grave, so I want Tom to give you the headshot. So, go ahead. I have nothing to say about this. No. <laughs> Game over. Tom even refuses to comment on this thing. Let me just Can I sit? Wait, bef- stop digging the Hold grave on, Ed, and hit before, this dude in the face you get, with the shovel. Ed, before you get into... Ed, before you get into your thing, I want to make one last point I forgot to mention. He's the other person that has been able to collaborate with Aaliyah in 2015-16. That's all I'm saying. The great Aaliyah. (laughs) We are really crediting that this dude is singing with Aaliyah's ghost as a... Oh my gosh. Let Let me... let me take it back to your biggest point, the one that I agree with, and show you why it's all kind of flawed. 
Because you said that Drake is the most influential person in R&B in the past 10 years. Really influenced the sound. That is correct. You know who else influenced the sound of R&B before Drake came in? This dude by the name of T-Pain. He was the reason why everybody rediscovered the vocal order and started J-E-ing all over the albums. So even though you're influential, doesn't mean that you're good. Because I know when you get a cold and your whole body is wrapped in pain and you get like chills and stuff, you are influenced by a cold virus. But the virus is still a virus. And Drake is still a virus. So I know you got your Canadian bias and all that stuff. But absolutely, positively, by no means should that monster be in my Hall of Fame. I gave you Joe. Stop. That's enough. So I take, damn, I take it that that's a no for both of you guys. You gonna take these hands? Yep. That's the only thing you taking. <laughs> <laughs> um, I also got to make one more point. I am sweating through my he shirt talking revived, to these dudes. He also revived Alicia Keys' career when her career started to look shaky with that unthinkable. What song. are you? <sighs> Come on. I and think Tom just went doing why we have- It's like he Tom has not talked commented in five minutes. I think he's just out. I think we just gotta flatline that dude. <laughs> I just have nothing to and, say. I'm just sitting back and And lastly, he brought us the weekend, and I know how much Tom loves the weekend, so there you go. Oh man. Tom, do you have anyway. Barry's number? Because I think we got a replacement. <laughs> Our new host, Barry Bars. Oh, boy. Coming next week. He doesn't the, even know it yet. The Tory Lane show coming to you soon. There you go. Um, in, all, in all of seriousness, um, I was going to say yes just because he's Canadian, but since you guys are saying no, I guess I'll say no as well. Oh, oh you would think so? <laughs> Damn, it's really like that, huh? Um, so it's that's really it for. Like that, uh, damn, that's it for this week's Hall of Fame. And actually, I just got a nomination in from Twitter, and I'm just gonna say it, you guys. This will probably be the fastest no of all time. But someone wanted us to nominate Daily. Daily. No. I put Daly in just, before Drake, so there you go. Oh, all right. Well, we gotta get out of here, Ed. What's going on with SoInStereo.com? <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, this place is a nightmare. Um, SoInStereo.com. It's been a while since we guys have checked in, so if you have not been to the site since we last have done a podcast, you got a whole lot to catch up on. Um, as it seems old now because it's like a month old. One of Soul and Serial's biggest features every year is the 20, 20 Questions Recap. I'll get it out. The 20 Questions Recap of the BET Awards is always our biggest post, and this year was no different. So if you missed the BET Awards, if you want to relive me going crazy on it, like I just went crazy on Kyle and his ridiculousness, check out Soul and Stereo. We got all of that recap. Or if you haven't read it or you want to read it again, it's still there. Read it again and educate your life. Also got tons of album reviews. We got the review of TLC's album. 
Jay-Z's album, 444, a lot of people are calling it album of the year. Is it really? You know I will give you the scoop. And another big feature is the Whatever Happened to Peace. Everybody's like, when are you going to do another one? And I haven't done it because I've done like 30 of them and I'm running out of artists. But I tracked down an artist that people have asked about. R&B singer Rome, the dude from Every Time I See Your Face. I found him, what he's been up to, all the weird, crazy stuff he's done since 1997. And it's been a whole bunch of weird stuff. Go check that out on Soul and Stereo, whatever happened to Rome. So, lots of content for you. Nice. And Tom, what's going on with You Know I Got Soul? Just, uh, we posted a lot of new music this past week. A lot of it from artists you may, people may not have heard from. You know, there's been some good stuff from emerging artists, like I said, coming from overseas. And you interviewed Estelle, right? Yep, I interviewed Estelle, um... Oh, this is a funny story for you guys before we get out, get out of here. So she announced that she's going to be doing a reggae album uh, very soon. So one of the questions I asked her was, why are you doing a reggae album? This is a little different for you. And she's just like, um, actually, no, every one of my album has had reggae songs on there. So, yeah, I only listen to the R&B Estelle songs. She does put out some solid R&B songs, but I'm just not really into the reggae, I guess. No, she's right. Like all of her projects, I've heard most of them, if not all of them. That's always an influence on the album. So she's right there. All right. I didn't do my Wikipedia research there. My bad. <laughs> We've all been called called out for not doing our Wikipedia research before. <laughs> Someone actually said that to me. Someone wrote this interviewer obviously didn't do his Wikipedia research in what? a YouTube comment. I was like, what the <laughs> I love how people have who have never interviewed or done anything in their life has some kind of opinion on how an interview or research should take place. Please stay in your lane. Yep. Exactly. <laughs> all right. That seems to be all that's going on in this week's podcast. Ed and Tom, thank you for your patience with me as I try to induct Drake into the Hall of Fame. Stay tuned next week as Ed will oh, my- try to put someone into the Hall of Fame. And I will try to put Kyle in the casket where he belongs. My God, how do we let this Tom? How do we let this guy on the podcast? I'm still trying to figure this out. D- Don't worry, Ed. Whoever you nominates getting an Mac no from me. So just letting you know in advance. Oh my God, I'm working without a net with these two. Oh boy. I mean, right. you didn't even put Monica in music. So I'm still not over this. I put Monica. Monica got very close. Monica got closer than Joe did. Wow. Jeez. All right. Well, All we're, right. we're going to have to finish this podcast and we'll ride out to Joe's more and more. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> Peace.